Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Changemaking Podcast with Chloe Mestagi. Each episode will introduce an area of technology that needs work and highlight the changemakers working on it. Join Chloe and guests as they tap into their passion about equity and rights for all. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome to another episode of the Change Making Podcast with ITSP Magazine. And today's session, we're going to talk about neurodiversity in information security. And with me, I have Devin and I have Nathan. I'm going to have them introduce themselves because I think it's a more powerful way, especially for this conversation. Devin, why don't you let people know who you are? Yeah, thanks for having me today, Chloe. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, My name is Devin Harris. Uh, I go by he, him. I'm originally from Texas. I currently work at Elastic. Um, I lead the compliance and customer insurance function there. And uh, this is a super important topic to me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I was just diagnosed with ADHD in 2019. And uh, the journey through that process and the people that I met along the way really uh, were impactful to me and made me decide that I wanted to get involved in trying to make uh, the process easier for other people, make sure people felt supported. Nathan, do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. It's a pleasure to be here today. And my name is Nathan Chung, and I, my pronouns are they, them. I'm a senior consultant at Microsoft, and I'm a huge champion for neurodiversity. I run the Neurosec podcast, and I also lead the WESIS, Women in Cybersecurity Neurodiversity Group. I, also, I was also diagnosed with autism and ADHD in January of this year, and I've had, I've had, it's been a long struggle to, to find uh, self-acceptance and to uh, fight for it. Well, Devin and Nathan, it is lovely to have you and thank you for being on this and for being open and transparent, especially when it comes to something like neurodiversity. Um, let's first start off with a question for those that are listening and they don't really understand what exactly is neurodiversity. Do you mind either one of you sharing a quick overview of what neurodiversity is and what it means to you? All right, I can jump in. Uh, so for me, uh, neurodiversity is, uh, a developmental disorder where, uh, your brain does not, uh, develop the same way that a neurotypical person's brain would. Um, And there are multiple conditions associated with neurodiversity, such as uh, autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. Um, And each of them are characterized by their own challenges. Um, That's just my take on neurodiversity. Great. And for me, neurodiversity is a, it's a natural phenomenon that affects affects uh, how, how the brain operates and historically it's been seen as a negative and as a sign of that person is broken, but science has improved and it shows it is very much natural. And many that have these conditions show that they have a competitive advantage. So companies are slowly waking up to this fact and are jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak. So let's talk a little bit about both of you, because both of you, it sounds like you were both diagnosed as an adult versus being a 
kid and being diagnosed, which may be a little bit more different because suddenly you have like that realization, this all makes sense suddenly. Um, Devin, let's start with you. What was this process? What did it look like for you when you were diagnosed with ADHD? How did that feel as well? So it was uh, very refreshing for me when I realized I probably had ADHD. Um, I, I didn't really know much about it. I knew all the cliches associated with ADHD. And uh, I'd even been guilty of like making jokes before, like, oh, I'm so forgetful. I have ADHD. Um, but at the time, um, I was working at a startup company, and we were in a, a, a co-working type space uh, shared with other companies. And I was getting really distracted and having a super hard time focusing uh, and finding myself coming in like super early in the morning or staying super late into the night just so that I could get work done. Um, and I knew something was wrong and I couldn't really figure out what. Um, and then I wound up watching a TEDx talk uh, from a YouTube influencer named Jessica McCabe, who has a channel called How to ADHD um, that I've become pretty familiar with since then. But um, I just was on the bus on the way to work and felt heard for the first time. I was like, oh my God, that's me. That's my life. I need to go get diagnosed for this. Um, and so like a lot of things clicked into place at that point. And I kind of started the journey of like forgiving myself and not beating up my challenges, like moral failures, just in differences in how I worked. And it really empowered me to step back and say like, Hey, I can put these things in place that will help me work with my brain instead of fighting against it and be more effective. Uh, and like beating myself up over how my brain works is also not going to do any good. It's just going to cause guilt and shame. And so it's been a, a, a very awesome process building from that. Um, but leading to that point was a lot of pain and confusion. Nathan, do you mind sharing a little bit about your story? Sure thing. My story is similar to Devin. It, it's like a very difficult journey where you grow up knowing something is wrong and being mistreated by people. And I think after a while, I just, one day I just realized I, I needed help. And that's why the I started reading books, I started reading stories of people who have these conditions and it started to really click. It's, I liken it, it's similar to uh, doing a DFIR, kind of like an incident response and digging through security logs. Once you find the indicators compromised, it, it matches, it really matched me like, like Cinderella and a shoe and a glass shoe. So once, once I came to the realization that yes, I have these ADHD and not autism, it really freed me because many people with these conditions, they struggle not just with self-acceptance in our society, they also struggle within their own heart of accepting themselves. And that is a personal struggle that many in the community have. And I conquered that mostly. And I, I, hope, I hope to inspire others to do, as, do so as well. I think both of you uh, really did showcase in a sense of, you know, there's this part of yourself that you, you want to, you don't want it to exist, but you know, it's also ingrained within you. Um, but it's also because of the way that the world is right now, right. in in the U S I'm going to speak from the U S sense is that even in school, right. Uh, there's a certain way that you're taught to learn. And if you don't fit in that criteria, or if you don't act in a certain way, there's something off. That means you're excluded. And you learn that on really early that you are going to be excluded 
possibly for the rest of your life, because you don't fit the norm of what is success or what is the right, you know, who's smart, who's not smart because of the way that you think. And then as an adult, you approach that and that is still, we, we always assume like, oh, we'll grow out of it because it's just a kid thing. But then when you're an adult, you still feel that very much still ingrained that you, you feel you different from other folks and people don't understand from your perspective because they weren't taught to learn about your perspective of things, to have a greater understanding and empathy of what it is and what, who you are. And instead of always placing these kind of norms that we've been taught that we should all behave and think like almost to the T alike. How do you feel now in a sense, do you feel more relieved knowing that you have this or do you feel like there's a part of you that still wishes that, you know, that you never found out? So I really like the strengths-based approach to, to neurodiversity. Um, I, I've learned that I have so many gifts that come with my neurodiversity um, that I just have to embrace. Um, and I do have challenges that I have to mitigate. Um, but knowing that I have the condition makes it easier to manage. Um, so, you know, there's so much stigma around medication for ADHD and I chose to take medication and it was, it was really life-changing for me. The first time, uh, I was prescribed the proper dose of medication. I remember thinking like, oh my God, can my whole life have been this way? Um, like, is this what it feels like to not like constantly have stuff going on in your head? and like fighting yourself. Um, and so I compare it a lot of times for people who may not understand uh, with like mental conditions or neurodevelopmental conditions. It's a lot like, you know, somebody who would be diabetic and need insulin, like their body physically needs that medication to adjust uh, for, you know, uh, a deficit that they have. And I feel like knowing that I have a deficit uh, with ADHD and being able to like put in place strategies and take the medication has been very helpful for me. So I wouldn't change it for anything. Nathan, what about yep. you? Yep. Uh, very similar. Uh, I started taking medication and it, it has helped. I, I can focus and I can get work done. And of course that comes with part of it is like the guilt of knowing that I could have gotten help earlier. So there's always that, but I, I think I'm better off getting diagnosed and understanding myself because many people struggle with knowing and accepting who they are. And for me, getting the diagnosis was life-changing. How was it once you found out about your diagnosis and then when it came to your job, was there any concerns or worries immediately that came out? And then what was the reality of it later on? Nathan, let's start with you. Sure. I think overall, my journey really started like when I got a, when we went through a very difficult job at one company and I had a, nerve, a total mental meltdown. I think that was a huge indication for me that I needed help. And it was through that initiation process that I started reading books and became more aware that I am very much neurodiverse. And 
after reading books and watching movies and being inspired by by stories of other people, it I also reversed the shame I felt for myself. I started to be proud of who I am instead of being shameful. Even at my current employer, my, I'm fortunate to work at an employer that embraces diversity, inclusion, and neurodiversity. So even when I applied for the job interview, I, I was very much upfront that I have these conditions and I advocate for this. Whereas other, other people I know, they're ashamed to even mention it and don't want to say anything, but I took the opposite approach and I'm proud, proud that I did. Yeah. And for me, I was, uh, I was working somewhere with a great manager at the time. Uh, she was very, very uh, forward, especially when it comes to mental health. In fact, she required all of her team members to take mental health first aid training. So I knew she would be supportive of the process. Um, and when I told her that I suspected I had ADHD and wanted to go out and seek treatment, she immediately had resources for me um, and apologized for not catching some of the signs earlier. Uh, you know, one of the biggest hallmarks for adults with ADHD that have not had it caught is inconsistent performance, just moments of brilliance, wonderful, uh, like you can tackle the world and then like days or weeks where it's like you're doing nothing all day. Um, and I definitely had displayed some of that, but, um, you know, was still a very valued employee. Um, so I wouldn't say there was any really concerns around my job, um, but I was concerned about how people close to me were going to react whenever um, I sought a diagnosis. Um, I also knew that I had family members who I strongly suspected had ADHD and did not want to be associated with that label. So I was concerned about how they were going to react to that. Um, but ultimately, I pushed through all of it. And uh, like Nathan, it's, it's something that I feel uh, by sharing my story. Uh, I can help other people uh, feel comfortable taking that step and stepping into who they are and not being ashamed of, uh, of who they are, of, of how their brain operates. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So before I went into information security, there was this one point in my life where I was a special education resource specialist and I was working with elementary kids and some of them they just immediately when they were diagnosed with something, they're like, well, that goes all those dreams out the window of what their career was going to be. And then when the teachers would find out, sometimes you'd find those teachers that would just give up on them. They're like, well, that person's not going to succeed. I'm going to invest in the ones that are going to succeed. It's one of those things that sometimes I hear from, you know, from friends and colleagues that this happens at their company. And so I'm curious, and Devin, you mentioned a little bit about that, how at, you know, at your company, your manager had resources and was very much present for you, which is so incredibly great to have. But what can other managers and companies do that is better and more supportive for the neurodiverse folks on their team and within their company? And Devin, I'm going to let you answer that first. And then Nathan, if you don't mind jumping in, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So I think exposure and education is always important. Uh, first off, if you work in tech or security and you don't know somebody who's neurodiverse, then you probably don't know everybody uh, at a level where you'd be comfortable knowing that because there is a huge amount of neurodiversity in our community. Um, and I, I would say, you know, just becoming aware of what neurodiversity looks like, what that means for different people, because not everybody presents the same way. 
And then to really understand that there are some strengths, uh, some incredible strengths, especially when it comes to thinking outside of the box, moving quickly, uh, being able to accomplish extremely complex tasks that other people might have a hard time piecing together. Um, so one of my favorite authors on ADHD is uh, Dr. Hallowell. And uh, he, he, also, he says in his newest book that a lot of times people are asking, why can't you think inside the box? And then the person with ADHD is saying, wait, where's the box at? Um, because we often look at things from a very different perspective. Uh, we're also generally very empathetic and compassionate. Um, and so I think there's a lot of strengths that people with neurodiversity can bring to the table. But I think it's also important to make sure uh, that you're monitoring those team members for things like burnout, because it's very easy for people to suffer in silence, especially when they feel like they're different or uh, might be an inconvenience to the team. At least that's my own personal uh, experience with ADHD. Great. That, yep, that's incredible, Devin. For myself, I want to bring up some of the harder areas because there is this huge misconception in society and the world that these conditions only affect white males. And that's, that's not true because the result of this blind thinking is women and uh, members of the LGBTQ community and uh, people of color and, and, and Asians, they are ignored when they have these conditions. And that's a tragedy. Also uh, back to what Devin was mentioning, ableism is a huge problem in the workplace where people, they, they just feel the need to fit in. So they, they do what's, what we call in the community, we call it masking, where they, do, they spend a ton of mental energy to pretend to be normal and to try to uh, subdue their, their natural neurodiverse condition. And that also is very painful for people. In the end, I want to give a big shout out to some um, amazing women in, who are working in cyber who have these conditions and who are openly proud of it. She's uh, Kim Crawley, uh, Lisa Ventura, Kat Cantillo, and Tia Hopkins. They are all, I've talked with them. They're my friends, and they are all incredible people. And I recommend the audience to connect with them if you want to learn more. Um, I all those are incredible people, Nathan, and everyone. You should follow them. They they have done so much good in our in the uh, infosec community. Um, Devin, you did bring up something really valid, which is the whole that those with neurodiverse they're going to be that outbox thinker because they had to learn how to survive in a world which doesn't usually include them. So they had to be that out of box thinker. Um, so we've seen and experienced in the world differently. And that they're able to usually come in and, you know, in the areas where the teams are unable to find the solution, they just look at it very quickly and like, oh, well, have you looked at it this way? And then they just, they just stop and they just stare and they're like, wow, I didn't even think about that. And I think that's really important is to, to really push that because in a sense that they always think that if you're narrow diverse, that means you're going to produce less. And that's not what it is about. It's about that you're going to be able to produce things differently that makes you unique and makes you stand out when it comes to products, solutions, to company growth. And it's so important that we actually do things about neurodiversity and start talking about it. And I, I do agree. 
I'm pretty sure that there are loads of folks in companies and on teams that are secretly neurodiverse and they may be diagnosed and may not be diagnosed, but it's about providing the resources and support to be able to grow as individuals, um, which then leads to me, leads to another question, which is how can flexibility help in the workplace? In a sense, how can we do better when it comes to employees without needing to know about their disability? How can we do better that will, you know, that will be more inclusive for everyone so no one feels singled out or they don't feel alone, that they can be brave to be who they are and to showcase that and feel supported? Nathan, I'll let you answer first. Sure thing. For in for me, it's still I'm still I'm still learning a lot from all many incredible people. And one huge tip I, I learned from Cat uh, Cantillo is at her employer, what they do is they they, they turn on functions and software for for, uh, for people with disabilities, like for example, uh, captions and meetings. They don't say, oh, we'll turn it on only for those with disability. They turn it on for everybody. That way everyone benefits without having to, to uh, come out as having these neurodiverse conditions. And I think things like that, it speaks volumes as to that company's culture. So that's number one. And number two, it really does boil down to the relationship between the worker, the neurodiverse worker and the manager. Some managers are very open and willing to accommodate a person's, the worker's needs. But whereas some managers in my experience are, are openly hostile because they see imagine people as kind of like a factory it's like either you can do the job or you can't and sadly many people with these conditions are seen as not able to do the job yeah so i i would also uh like like to parrot that it's great to uh, do things that increase accessibility for everybody uh that aren't super disruptive like turning on captions or you know uh, when it comes to pronouns now, when you go to a tech convention and they have a pronoun that you can put on your label, uh, it's super helpful to just encourage that dialogue. Um, I think leadership setting the example that this dialogue is okay uh, is, is super helpful. Things like employee resource groups uh, are a great first step. Um, but also when it comes to like accessibility and enabling team members, uh, specifically for neurodiversity, there's some things I think that you can do to help, like ensuring that all uh, task requests or work procedures are documented. Um, you know, I there there's a lot of things looking back that were challenges for me that I knew were challenges, but I didn't know why. Uh, so I used to always say like, hey, can you email me that conversation we just had, like the action item you wanted me to do, or else I'm going to forget about it. And that is very real. Um, so, you know, trust your employees when they tell you like, you know, I, I, I would really appreciate it if you would do this or hey, I'm sitting right next to the lunchroom and I'm having a really hard time focusing on this project. Do you mind if I relocate to a conference room temporarily or even move my desk would be great. Um, and I think great managers already do that. They try to enable their employees to do their best work. Um, but specifically for neurodiversity, ensuring things that are uh, consistent and documented makes it really easy for us to be able to reference uh, later, um, me specifically. Yeah, you made a really good point about, you know, going into a kind of like a soundproof room to focus on things. 
that's like one of the things that, you know, that open floor plan may work for a certain group of folks, but then it doesn't help a lot of other folks in a sense. Cause it's like, I don't want you to approach me when I have my headphones on because that means I have to focus and it takes so long to get back to focus state if you interrupt me and I don't want to be rude or anything. But yeah, it's it's really interesting in a sense, like if we have more flexibility, and I think the one thing about the pandemic is working from home does help in many ways for folks that are introverted, or it could be also those that have uh, problems with focusing in loud environments. And it, it's one of those things that when we look at it and we're starting to have that conversation about coming back and working inside the workplace again, is that I really hope that we don't lose that part or we have to have an understanding that flexibility is now needed. It works. We've noticed this now at this point. So it's really interesting on that front. I do want to just quickly touch on one thing, which is that a lot of times we'll hear uh, companies say use the term ableism. And I would love to hear from either one of you about why ableism is a term that people should be uh, aware of and the actual meaning behind it. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll go. I actually didn't even know about ableism until uh, I talked with Kim Crawley. She, she is an incredible change maker and sorry, I can't, I can't use the, <laughs> I can't use the natural term, but she is a huge change maker and she's not afraid to see what's on her mind. And she was the first one to explain to me about ableism. And it really opened my eyes, my eyes to how big a problem it is. And I've experienced it myself. Just when having these conditions, I struggled at, at many of my employers and they didn't help me because they just saw me as being broken. And that is a, at a high level what ableism is to me. It's being seen as being broken why you like Moses, I remember from the latest uh, just Justice League, the Snyder's Cut, where they, where the bad guys told uh, the character of Cyborg, like, you're broken. And his response is, I'm not broken and I'm not alone. I think that kind, that kind of courage, that kind of mindset, is that's where many of us need to get to, to, to say, like, we're not afraid to be who we are. Yeah, and I think uh, ableism even extends deeper, uh, like most isms, to almost like a subconscious or societal expectation. Um, and it's not uncommon to see uh, like job postings that have ableist uh, language in the job title, just like you'll often see job job descriptions that have sexist uh, or um, you know status indicating um, things in the job descriptions. And so, yeah, I mean, ableism a lot of times just starts from a place of assuming that everybody is on the same playing field and not taking into account that we have differences. Yep, and I totally agree with Devin there because I, I talked about this in, in, one, in one conference thought where basically it's not just that, it's, 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 it's the small things like, for example, uh, going out to happy hour after work. It's those kind of activities where many employers, where they have historically and naturally determined who is best for leadership, who's best for uh, the promotion. It's the individuals who 
go to these happy hour and who are awesome with the team and the people. And that is, is it, it discriminates and shuts out people like myself who do not feel comfortable at happy hours. And when I talk about this, like people are shocked, but it, in my view, it's very much true. And I think people are starting to agree with me. There was this fascinating book called Loud, which is basically a book on, you know, those that don't feel comfortable in being in spotlight. And it's mostly talking about introverts. Um, but it's one of those things how our in American culture that we celebrate people that are very extrovert, really out in your face, like really loud, you know, always sociable and everything like that. Um, and how the whole networking and business scene to this day, if you want to have a higher position, you have to emulate that type of personality. But it's really, really hard if it's not ingrained in you. And that goes back to like that whole thing of having flexibility and having understanding and really starting to making the workplace more actually DEI, not DEI on paper, but actually taking actions to do that so people feel more included. Because the reality is that when we talk about disabilities, um, sometimes it's more focused on the visible, not the invisible and I would love to go into that discussion. And Devin, I'm going to hand it to you first. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things. When I was first diagnosed, uh, you know, I made the false assumption of thinking like, okay, I'm medicated now. This is this is great. Uh, there's nothing else I need to do. Um, but the truth is, I found personally there's like a holistic approach I need to take to maximizing my positives and minimizing my my disabilities or uh, the things that I struggle with. And so, you know, it's, it's really easy for people to say like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't see what's wrong with you. Why do you need to go to another doctor's appointment? Or, you know, why do you need some time off to decompress? Um, you know, luckily I don't experience that where I'm at, um, but it's super helpful to, you know, um, work with people who understand that I can bring my best self to work when I have the time I need to, to take care of my mental health um, and, you know, holistically just put into place the things that I need in my life to be an awesome employee. Nathan, anything you want to add on to it? Yep, sure thing. And I totally agree with everything what Devin said, because I think to get to take it to another level, what for, for many people, when they realize they have these conditions, it's easy, easy to get depressed because they think, oh, I'm, that they're broken. But when you look at history, history is full of many, many, many amazing people that have contributed to the world who have these conditions or probably had these conditions like Mozart, Susan Boyle, Dan Aykroyd, and many, many more. And the world is better off for it. And history we, we as a society, we have advanced so far and so fast because of many of these individuals that have these conditions. That's why we need to do a better job to flip the script on neurodiversity so that people can see it as positive instead of as, as a negative because of ableism. Here, here on that. So what can people do, individuals in our community, to really push for 
a better understanding of neurodiversity within our industry. And Nathan, I'm going to hand it to you first. And maybe you might want to touch on uh, WESIS neurodiversity. Sure. So I also lead the WESIS neurodiversity group. It's a support group to help uh, the women in cyber and other individuals who have neurodiverse conditions to get help. Because with COVID and everything else, it's the mental health and burnout is, is very real. I, I know that at least a handful of friends, of friends of my friends who have taken their own life over, over the past few months. And it's, it is very sad, depressing. So more needs to be done. And another thing to point out is I heard a great, amazing talk from Melissa Miller, who talked about her LGBTQ journey. And there are many intersections between LGBTQ and neurodiversity. It's because at the end of the day, it's not just addressing neurodiversity, it's addressing the individual needs of everyone because we're all different. And tagging on to that, uh, I I really love everything Nathan said. Um, I I think misinformation or misunderstanding or ignorance um, is something that can be easily combated in this area. But, uh, you know, just simple understanding uh, what the condition is, how you can help. And then also, um, you know, understanding that this is not just something for children. When I was first diagnosed and I was researching, almost all the literature I found was on neurodiversity in children. And, you know, being 30 something years old, I'm sitting here feeling very excluded and like, maybe, maybe this isn't me. Maybe I would have been diagnosed as a kid if if this was me, Um, you know? And so uh, when people make the assumption that you grow out of neurodiversity or that neurodiversity only affects children, it's a little bit difficult. Uh, And these types of conversations really help a lot to dispel some of those common myths. You're here on that one. Definitely have, I mean, I still have contact with some of the students I had. And it's really interesting to see how when I when I first started being the resource specialist for them, was that they had dream careers of wanting to become doctors, scientists, and and engineers. And then when they got their diagnosis, um, that when they brought it to their teachers or their family, the family was like, you may want to try something different, such as, you know, going to this other field where you don't have to be detailed oriented, or you don't have to get the highest test scores to get into. And just hearing that, I remember where I would just sit down with the parents and talk it over. And then I would bring up examples of people that have been successful with that diagnosis and just pass it forward to them and be like, look, if this person can do it, your child can do it too. And I think that's the other thing is that we have to understand that, you know, neurodiversity has been around forever since humanity. It's just about us understanding that we can't all fit in a box. And that's what's the beauty of, you know, diversity. When we have diverse folks and we allow them a seat at the table, magic starts to happen where we get great solutions. We get a better understanding of the world that we live in and really understanding empathy because when we, when we go through something where we feel like an outcast, there's a sense of empathy that comes in.
or we can understand another person who feels like an outcast. And I think all of us as humans at some point have felt like an outcast. So it's so important for us to keep learning and, and learning everything that we can about one another so then we can have a much better workplace and a better industry and a better society. So thank you, Devin. And thank you, Nathan, for being on this podcast. It was such a pleasure to have you. And thank you for being transparent about uh, your disabilities. And anyone who is out there that is, you know, hiding in any way, feel free to reach out to Devin or Nathan and just note that you're not alone. No one is alone here. And it's important that we break the stigma. Thank you for having us, Chloe. I really appreciate it. Yep, same thing. And thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Making Podcast with Chloe Mestagi. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.